Hello, Connection Point family. It is great to see you as we begin this new series of messages from the book of Psalms called Words of Comfort. You know, comfort is just a great word. Think of comfort foods like macaroni and cheese or mashed potatoes, or maybe think of going over to your friend's house and they say, hey, just kick off your shoes and make yourself comfortable. Comfort is just a great concept. We all love that. When I was a boy, my family lived in an old farmhouse. It was very small and we didn't have a lot of money. And so to save money in the winter, my parents wouldn't heat the upstairs where my brothers and I slept. And so it was very cold up there. It was so cold at night that I could even see my breath when I was sleeping. My brothers and I slept under very thick, heavy blankets. And we called those blankets comforters. I guess there's something warm and cozy and strengthening about something that gives you comfort. One of the titles that Jesus used for the Holy Spirit is comforter. We all need comfort. There are times when we need comfort desperately because we're grieving a major loss, like the death of a loved one. But in the year we've been going through in 2020, we're hit by all kinds of smaller losses that they add up and they make us need comfort on a regular basis. Comfort for all kinds of things, whether you're disappointed with something that's happened at work or school, or you're concerned about all the political turmoil in our nation. Let me tell you right now, God's comfort sounds about as welcome as a warm blanket on a cold winter night. And if you're looking for comfort, the book of Psalms is a great place to find it. Now, the book of Psalms falls right in the middle of the Bible. Now, this doesn't always happen, but often if you just open your Bible randomly in the middle, you'll turn to the book of Psalms. And the book of Psalms has been right in the middle of God's people's faith for almost 3,000 years. You know, when we worship God today, we like to use music to do that. God's people did thousands of years ago. And the Psalms, that became their worship songbook. These were the scriptures that were read and the songs that were sung when God's people got together to worship him. And down through the centuries, the book of Psalms has served as a devotional guide for God's people, kind of a spiritual journal for all of us. Somebody said we should read from the Psalms every day to stay right with God, and we should read something from the Proverbs every day to stay right with other people. The book of Psalms, one reason I love this book is that it shows how can we can respond to God through all the ups and downs of life. It chronicles how to deal with different situations that come our way. Now, on some days, you feel cheerful and peaceful, and so you want to read the 23rd Psalm. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. But other days, you feel like singing the blues, and so you want to read not Psalm 23, but Psalm 22, the one that goes right before it. Psalm 22, verse 1, begins with these words, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Maybe you recognize those words because Jesus quoted them on the cross. Well, today we're going to look for comfort in the book of Psalms by talking about those times when we feel like singing the blues. And if you have your Bible or a Bible app on your phone, I want you to turn with me to Psalm 42. 
This chapter, Psalm 42, tells us what to do when we go through a dry spell in our relationship with God. Psalm 42 begins by saying in verse 1, As the deer longs for streams of water, so I long for you, O God. I thirst for God, the living God. Now, when it mentions a deer, I have to say I'm not always fond of deer. I planted some tulip bulbs at the house where I used to live, and these bulbs, they were purple and gold and I lived right next to a college campus where I was working and our school colors were purple and gold. So I was really proud of these tulips. I couldn't wait to see in the spring purple and gold all around my house. So I went out on a nice spring morning and those tulips were just coming up from the ground and I was all proud. They were just about ready to burst into bloom, purple and gold. The next day I came out early in the morning and it looked like somebody had taken a lawnmower and just mowed over the tulips. Evidently, I found out that tulips are like chocolate to deer. I mean, deer just love these things. But then a deer has got to eat, right? I just didn't want to be the one to feed him. This deer that we encounter in Psalm 42 is not hungry. He's thirsty. And he's really thirsty. He's longing. Some translations say he's panting for streams of water. And the psalmist says... That's how my soul longs for God. I thirst for God, for the living God. Now, thirst is a really significant thing that we all experience. Actually, we don't experience quite the same way that they did in Bible times because we have so much bottled water and soda and all kinds of drinks and coffee and so forth at hand all the time. I get something to drink multiple times every day. So it's hard for me to imagine life-threatening thirst. But that's what this deer in the psalm is experiencing. He feels like he's going to die of thirst. You know, in Bible times, people really feared droughts. Here in central Indiana, it's been dry lately. We haven't had much rain for over a month. And my yard gets dry and all, but I still have plenty of water to drink and take my showers and so on. But in Bible times, people feared droughts. Without rain, crops don't grow, livestock suffers, flowers wither. The Bible tells about a time in the days of Elijah when it didn't rain for three and a half years. Imagine that was how hard that was for everybody. So a physical drought when it doesn't rain and you're really thirsty is a really, really tough thing. But there's something tougher, and that is a spiritual drought, a spiritual thirst when you long for God. And we all do. Notice how the psalmist says, my soul longs for God. There was a wise person who said, our hearts are restless until we find rest in God. When we feel a spiritual thirst in our souls, we're not just thirsty for money or sex or entertainment. Our souls thirst for the living God. And I love the way it says that in the Psalm, the living God. He's real, he's alive, he's dynamic, he's authentic. So let me talk to you today. If you are experiencing a spiritual dry time, and if you haven't, you will. Maybe you're there right now. What are some signs of a spiritual drought? Well, Psalm 42 tells us some. For one thing, 
You know you're in a spiritual dry spell when God seems distant. You pray, and it doesn't seem like anybody's listening. You even serve God, and it doesn't seem like it matters. Have you ever felt like nothing's happening and God's not listening to your prayers? The way the psalmist says in Psalm 42, verse 9, O God, my rock, I cry, why have you forgotten me? Why must I wander around in grief, oppressed by my enemies? Maybe you felt that way, that God is distant from you. Another sign of a spiritual drought is that other people provide little help. Maybe you've gone through a spiritually tough time and nobody reached out to you. Nobody seemed to care because they were all busy with their own problems. Or even worse than that, maybe you've been around folks who actually dragged you down or made fun of you for believing in God and used your spiritual dry time kind of to go against you and to use it to discredit your faith. In verse 3, the psalmist says, day and night, I have only tears for food. And let me just pause and point out, tears don't have a lot of calories. If all you have to eat is tears, you're, you're going to be malnourished spiritually and physically. Day and night, I have only tears for food. It's just a way of saying, man, I'm just, it's just, I'm not even able to eat. I'm just so preoccupied with how I feel about this. While my enemies continually taunt me, saying, where is this God of yours? And then in verse 10, it says, my bones suffer mortal agony. In other words, I'm aching inside. Some translations say, I have a sword in my bones. That's how much it hurts. As my foes taunt me, saying to me all day long, where is your God? Notice that. Just all day I'm hearing this, and it's nagging at me, where is my God? So you know you're in a spiritual drought when God seems distant, and then you wish other people would come alongside you, but there's nobody there to help you. And another mark of a spiritual drought is you lose the joy of worship. Remember how it used to be? And you were excited about serving God. You know, even people who've been deeply involved in the church sometimes feel this way. Verse 4 says, My heart is breaking as I remember how it used to be. I walked among the crowds of worshipers, leading a great procession to the house of God, singing for joy and giving thanks amid the sound of a great celebration. Maybe you were the kind of person who would say to the rest of your family, Hey, come on, we got to get up and go to church. Let's go. I want to be there. I don't want to miss what's happening there at the church. Maybe you were that person, but now you've kind of lost that joy. Now your soul feels like it's drying up inside. Honestly, during the pandemic, a lot of us have struggled with this because even if you regularly went to church before March of 2020, it doesn't feel normal. There's a lot that doesn't feel normal now about the way we get together and worship God. Now, before I go on, if you're experiencing some of these symptoms of a spiritual drought, let me just point out, we should not be surprised when dry times come. Remember in the Bible, it tells about a guy named Elijah, a great prophet of God who went up on a mountaintop and won a great victory for God. But the next thing you know, he's out in the desert where he lies down under a tree and prays that he might die. 
Jesus himself was baptized in the Jordan River, but immediately afterward, he went out to the desert for 40 days of fasting and temptation. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 12 says, Do not be surprised at the painful trial you are suffering as though something strange were happening to you. Tough times, dry times are a normal part of our journey with God. But what do you do when the drought comes? What is your survival strategy? How can you hydrate a thirsty soul? Well, I don't want to give you platitudes. I don't want to give you any easy answers. I wish I could give you easier answers than I'm going to give you. But I do want to share from my heart and from my own practical experience as a Christian some things that I have learned, some lessons about surviving spiritual droughts. And I want to offer you five suggestions today from Psalm 42. And one of them is from another Psalm that we'll look at in a moment. The first point is this. If you're going through a spiritual drought, be spiritually self-aware. Here's another way to say it. Do some serious self-examination. In verse 5, the psalmist engages in a little self-talk. He puts his soul under a bright light and he interrogates himself. He says to himself, why am I so discouraged? Why is my heart so sad? Another translation says, why are you downcast, O my soul? Why are you so disturbed within me? And the word for disturbed in Hebrew meant something like murmuring, growling, or roaring, to be disquieted or sad. Now, please notice this. The Psalms comfort us, but they also challenge us. They challenge us to do some spiritual self-examination and ask ourselves the hard questions. What's really going on deep in my soul? Have I drifted from God? Have my priorities gotten rearranged? Have I slipped into some sloppy spiritual habits? It's good to ask yourself questions like those. It's even better if you process them with a trusted Christian friend or a Christian counselor. Here's another way I say it. When you're dry ask why. If you're experiencing a spiritual drought, ask yourself why. Maybe you're angry with God. You know, I've run into people who say, I don't believe in God anymore. And I say, why? And they say, because I'm angry with him. I'm mad at him. And I say, you know what? Have you considered the fact that it's not really rational to be mad at a non-existent being? I mean, if there is a God and you have a relationship with him, relationships sometimes touch all of our emotions. And so if you feel some anger toward God in an interesting way, it's actually evidence that God is there, that you want a better relationship with God, that you're struggling in it. That's a sign that God is there. If you have anger toward him, you can't be mad at a non-existent being and be a rational person. Maybe you're angry with God. Maybe you're physically exhausted and you just need some rest. Maybe you're too busy and you need a break. Or maybe you need some time alone. You know, even Jesus sometimes left the crowds behind and went off by himself to pray and relax and rest a little bit. Or maybe the opposite is true. Maybe you've been too isolated. Do you need to get in touch with other people who will build you up? Let me tell you, by reading the Psalms, we can become more spiritually self-aware. In fact, in Psalm 139, here's a prayer 
that David offered, he said to God, search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. So the first thing to do if you're in a spiritual drought is do some serious serious spiritual self-examination. Be spiritually self-aware. But don't just look inside yourself. We need to look up to the Lord. And in the dry times, here's another thing that I've found is helpful. Choose to be faithful while your emotions catch up. Now, let me compare this to marriage. I've been married, my wife Candy, for 45 years. We've learned a lot about each other. And let me tell you, I often will tell couples that when it comes to marriage, marriages go through three phases. The first phase is what I call the wows. You look at that other person and you say, wow, they're attractive. You enjoy being around them. You get along. Wow, it's great. After the wows come the vows. You stand before witnesses and you promise your faithfulness for the rest of your life till death do you part. The wows and then the vows. But most of marriage is lived in what I call the nows. Now what do we do? Now how do we make a living? Now how do we pay the bills? Now how do we deal with the sick child? Now how do we deal with the fact that we're moving? Now how do we deal with this? There's the wows, but not all of marriage is lived in the wows. And there are the vows, the, the celebration of the marriage at the wedding day. But most of marriage is lived out in the nows. And there's joy in that, but there are also tough moments. And our relationship with God is kind of like that. Maybe when you first come to faith in God, it's wow, it's exciting, it's wonderful. But then you learn some things about what the Bible calls agape love, the love of commitment and surrender, self-sacrifice. And you discover that love for God is a choice. It's a way you act, not just a way that you feel. Now in verse five, the psalmist says, I will put my hope in God. That's a choice he's making. I'm determined to put my hope in God. I will praise him again, my savior and my God. Do you hear the determination in this verse, I will put my hope in God. Another translation puts it this way. I will yet praise him. I love that. I will yet praise him. It is a choice that we make. You might remember the story in the Old Testament of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego who told the king, you can throw us into a fiery furnace and God might save us from it, but even if he doesn't, we will yet praise God. Daniel himself said, basically, you can throw me into a lion's den, but I will yet praise God. That Nothing's going to stop me from praising God. It's a choice he made. The apostle Paul wrote from prison and said, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. There is determination, a tone of holy defiance in those words. In the pandemic, in the midst of all the turmoil and confusion in our society today, we dare to say, even if I'm feeling down, yet I will praise God. I may be down, but I'm not done. I may be famished, but I'm not finished. I may be struggling, but I'll keep serving. I'm tired, but I'm not going to quit. I will yet praise him. I have a Christian friend who had a bike accident and now he's a 
quadriplegic, but his attitude, if you talk to him, you will quickly pick up his attitude is, I will yet praise God. You might be a student struggling in school and your peers are giving you a rough time. I want to encourage you, don't let other people determine what you are worth. Tell yourself and tell God, I am God's child and I will yet praise him. You might be out of work. Your, your husband or your wife may leave you if, if you're fighting cancer. Have that holy defiance to say with determination, I will yet praise God. C.S. Lewis wrote that after we come to faith, we may hear some bad news or we get in trouble or others around us don't believe. And he said, this is the way C.S. Lewis put it, our emotions rise up and carry out sort of a blitz on our belief. And he said, faith is the art of holding on to things your reason has once accepted in spite of your changing moods. In other words, be faithful to God while your emotions catch up. Well, while you go through a spiritual dry spell, don't give in to temptation. Don't cheat on your spouse. Don't blow up at your boss and don't give up on your church. Psalm 42 verse 6 says, and I, I love the honesty here. It says, now I'm deeply discouraged. I love that. That the Bible just acknowledges uh, there are times when you feel really down and really bummed, really deeply discouraged. But the psalmist says, but I will remember you, God. I'm going to remember you, God, even though I'm deeply discouraged. Even from distant Mount Hermon, that was a high mountain, the source of the Jordan. So what he's saying is, whether I'm up on a mountaintop or I'm down in the valley, yet I will praise you. Now, here's the third thing that I have learned about spiritual droughts and dealing with them. Number three, enroll in God's school of hard knocks. Make a choice to say, God, I want to learn from you in this. In other words, another way to say it is use the spiritual drought as a time to learn. Now, I'm going to say something. I hope it doesn't shock you, but here's the truth. I can be a very, very shallow person. <laughs> You're thinking, why did John ask this guy to speak? He just told us he's a shallow. No, I didn't say I am a shallow person. I said, I can be a very shallow person. It's very easy for me to drift into shallowness. I love it when I just kind of drift along. It's easy when I do that, but that's not good for me. I need to go deeper. And I'll tell you some of the most valuable spiritual lessons I have ever learned have come to me when things were tough. I don't like that about myself, but the truth is I have learned more during the tough times than during the easy things. Now, look at verse 7, Psalm 42, verse 7. I'm using the, another translation here because I love the way it says it. Deep calls to deep in the roar of your waterfalls. All your waves and breakers have swept over me. Now, I want to spend a little time with that verse because there's a lot there. Deep calls to deep. Notice that. I wonder, what does that mean? Deep calls to deep. Well, evidently, it means that when you go through difficult times, something deep in God is calling out to something deep in you. If you want to go deeper in your relationship to God, listen, 
God teaches us shallow lessons in easy times, but he teaches us deeper lessons in hard times. Winston Churchill applied this to leaders. Churchill said, mountaintops inspire leaders, but valleys mature them. Look again at verse 7. It says, deep calls to deep in the roar of your waterfalls. All your waves and breakers have swept over me. I like that because sometimes that's how it feels. In a season like the year we're in, in 2020, it seems like hard times just come in waves, wave after wave, week after week, day after day, more bad news, one thing after another. And it's like being caught in a huge waterfall and you're just down here at the bottom and the water's just coming down. Or maybe you feel like you, you were up in a, in a boat on the, on the river and you went over the falls and now you're just at the bottom and the water is just pouring over you and you're just completely overwhelmed. But let me remind you how this psalm began. Remember Psalm 42, the first verse? At the beginning, the writer of the psalm says he's thirsty. He's dying for some water. And now God sends some, <laughs> so much that it's hard to take it all in. It's just pouring down. Notice, though, that it says in that verse, God says, these are, the psalmist says, these are your waterfalls, your waves and breakers. They're God's waves. They're not just random. In the dry times, we're in a classroom and God is the teacher. He's teaching us deeper things that we can only learn this way. Now, here's another thing I've learned about surviving spiritual droughts. I call it coming back to the fort. Now, let me explain what I mean by that. Actually, it's just a little play on words because I got to thinking about the word comfort. I thought, what does it mean to comfort? And then I thought, come to the fort, comfort. And what it made me think about was the places in the scripture where it says that God is our fortress and our strength. He's our refuge and strength, a very present help in times of trouble. And I got to thinking about it and I realized if I feel distant from God, he hasn't moved. I'm the one who's moved. And sometimes when I feel vulnerable and defenseless, it's because I've wandered away from the fortress. No wonder I feel scared. No wonder I feel endangered. I'm out there without any shelter. What we need to do is rediscover the sheltering comfort of God's love. Now, there's nothing more basic than the love of God, but you know what? When you go through a spiritual dry time, as basic and simple as that may sound, I want to say this to you from my heart and from the Word of God. God loves you. You know, sometimes when we're in a time when God seems distant, it's because we're picturing God up there pointing the finger of blame and shame instead of seeing him as a loving father extending his hands, wanting to embrace us and hold us close. Maybe you need to rediscover what the Bible says about the love of God and make it personal that he loves you. Psalm 42 verse 8 says, But each day the Lord pours his unfailing love upon me every day. And through each night, see whether the sun is shining and it's daytime or it's dark and it's nighttime, there are still songs to sing, praying to the God who gives me life. I wouldn't even be here at all if it wasn't for the love of God. 
So I want to encourage you, if you're going through a dry time, to rediscover the love of a God who is big enough to create the universe and yet small enough to be a little baby lying in a manger in Bethlehem. To rediscover a God who is big enough to rule the whole world, but small enough to care about what's happening to you this week. If you want comfort, come back to the fort. Come back to the fortress of God's love. And then, number five, do the do. Do the do. Let me explain. What I mean by that is really pretty simple. It's just spend some time with refreshing friends. Now, there is a great passage in Psalm 133. Here's where I want to take you to a different psalm. Psalm 133 says, How wonderful and pleasant it is when brothers live together in harmony. It's really great when that happens. You know, here at Connection Point, we have lots of small groups, and we, you'll hear that encouraged a lot, be part of a small group. That's not just because it's some nice little church program. I'll tell you, when you go through a spiritual rough time, a good, healthy, caring small group can be a lifeline to you to help you stay close to God and help you get through it. So this harmony described between brothers and sisters in the Lord, Psalm 133 says, it's as precious as the anointing oil that was poured over Aaron's head that ran down on his beard and onto the border of his robe. Harmony is as refreshing as the dew from Mount Hermon that falls on the mountains of Zion. And there the Lord has pronounced his blessing, even life everlasting. Now that's a really nice sounding thing, harmony and unity. And yet the analogies that are used here in this passage just sound like a mess. You really want oil poured on your head and all over your beard and all over the collar of your clothes and all over you? What is that talking about? Well, in Exodus chapter 30, God gave Moses a special recipe for a sweet-smelling oil that was made of cinnamon and other spices. You realize if you became a priest of God, they poured this oil on top of you, and it ran down on your beard and down all over your clothes. I, I hadn't really thought about that, but priests smelled good. When you first became a priest of God, somebody walked past you on the sidewalk, whoa, they caught a whiff of a beautiful, fragrant aroma. You had this sweet aroma just spilling out of you, spilling all over you. Priests smelled good. And let me tell you, in today's world, in our badly divided culture right now, it is a breath of fresh air when people get along, when blacks and whites get along, when young and old don't quarrel over our generational differences. This psalm, Psalm 133, is a beautiful picture of harmony and unity in the church. Let me point out a couple other things here. It says that harmony is as refreshing as the dew of Mount Hermon. Now, dew is something that comes quietly. It doesn't call much attention to itself. You don't hear dew fall like you do rain. It's not spectacular. You get up in the morning and it's just kind of there. But it's refreshing and gentle and cool. True friends are like that. They just don't have to be real noisy and say a lot, but they're there, they refresh you. And notice something else, the oil that we talked about a moment ago, that was just for the priests, but everybody gets dew. Dew is for everyone. And it says that this harmony that we ought to be experiencing that refreshes us 
is like the dew from Mount Hermon. Now, we mentioned Mount Hermon before when we were in Psalm 42. Mount Hermon is the highest mountain in that part of the world. It's over 9,000 feet tall. And it happens to be where the Jordan River begins, where the headwaters of the river start to flow. So this idea that's being developed here is that unity or harmony is like the rain or the dew that falls on the mountaintop and then it flows down and it actually becomes a river. That's the way it always is with unity in the church. It starts at the top. Unity flows from the top down. It comes down from Jesus, who is our head. And then it flows down all through the body of Christ. He died and rose for us. So my advice to you is do the do. You can drink Mountain Dew if you want. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about finding a refreshing friend who will encourage you and refresh you. And maybe it's time for you to step up and be due to somebody else, to be a refreshing friend to somebody else who's going through a spiritual dry time themselves. That's what it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 1 about comfort. It says there, All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is our merciful Father and the source of all comfort. Look at this. He comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort others. When they are troubled, we'll be able to give them the same comfort that God has given us. For the more we suffer for Christ, the more God will shower us with his comfort through Christ. God comforts you so you can comfort someone else. And when you need comfort in a healthy church, there are brothers and sisters who will be there to comfort you. So when you go through a spiritual dry spell, do the do. Be a source of refreshment for somebody else and find others who will be a source of refreshment for you. I love the way it summarizes it in Isaiah verse or chapter 58, verse 11. It says, the Lord will guide you continually, giving you water when you are dry and restoring your strength. Look at this. You will be like a well-watered garden, like an ever-flowing spring. Now back in Psalm 42, it ends on a positive note. The psalmist one more time says, I will put my hope in God. I hope you're able to say that today. I pray that you're going to say that today, that you will say, I will praise him again, my Savior and my God. I pray that you will make the choice to put your hope in God and follow him through the dry times to the streams, the well-watered gardens, the springs that are still ahead of you. Bob Russell tells a story about a Native American custom. It was kind of a rite of passage for young men. When a boy was approaching manhood, his father would blindfold him and lead him into the forest, into the woods, where the young boy had to spend the night all alone in the forest, sitting on the ground, blindfolded, leaning against a tree. Now, can you imagine how scary that must have been? How alone the boy must have felt during the long, dark night? How vulnerable he felt whenever he heard a wild animal stirring in the forest? Finally, in the morning, as he began to feel the warmth of the sun coming up, over the horizon in the eastern sky, the boy was allowed then to remove the blindfold. And that's when he realized and saw 
that his father had been quietly sitting there all night watching over him. All that time he felt like he was alone. But his dad was silently sitting there making sure that he made it through the night. Let me tell you, in the dry times, in the scary times, in the times when you feel alone, you have a father who's with you and watching you, who wants the best for you. If you'll let him, he will be your fortress. He will be your strength. If you want comfort, come back to the fort. Put your hope in God. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, when we think about thirst, we realize that we have a thirst inside of us that can only be quenched and satisfied by you. And we also think, Father, of how your Son, Jesus Christ, when he was dying for our sins on the cross at Calvary, spoke those words and said, I thirst. So he can identify with our physical suffering, our physical hardships and pain. But he also knew on that cross what it felt like to be alone, to be mocked, to be ridiculed, to be deeply discouraged and to bear the burden of all the sins of the world. Thank you for the amazing love that you showed us on the cross when Jesus, your son, endured all that for us. Lord, today I pray for the person who's hearing this message, who's feeling really spiritually dry. I pray that you will quench that thirst that's inside of them. I pray that you will bring alongside them refreshing friends. I pray, Lord, that you'll use this as a time to deepen them, to deepen all of us, Lord, so that our walk with you will not be shallow, but will be deep and long-lasting and satisfying deep in our souls. God, thank you for the water of life that you give through Jesus Christ and through your Holy Spirit. We offer this prayer in Jesus' powerful and life-giving name. Amen.